If you have your Bibles, why don't you take them out to Ephesians chapter 4. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Lawrence uh, last week has been encouraging us to uh, bring our Bibles with us, our physical Bibles. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis one time spoke, and this was way before an iPad or an iPhone, but he spoke about um, the aesthetics of reading. And what he meant by that is there's something about the touch, the smell, high the pencil across the page. There's something about that that actually helps us learn. Now, people may say that's nostalgic, and that's all right. I've been called worse. Um, but uh, there's something about having your physical Bible with you. But uh, if you don't, that's okay. We, we, no, nobody's judging you. We're just counting. No, I'm just sorry. <laughs> just joking. Uh, you know, I grew, up in a, I grew up in a culture where it's like you, ha- you had to have a, a KGV, you know, King James Version Bible to get into heaven, you know. I don't believe that's true. I just, you know, think you could save yourself the embarrassment of having to stand in the long line of non-KGV people. No, I'm just <laughs> get that. Uh, hey, just a couple things as we get started. One is it is November, and uh, as our custom here is we want to take moments to practice gratitude. You will find these little trays. There's some in the back by communion. There's some out in the foyer with uh, thank you cards in them. Just encourage you to grab a couple and to sit down this week and maybe this month and just write someone uh, that you're grateful for and tell them why. It's both good for our hearts and souls, but also good for others. So I just want to remind you of that. Pastor Lawrence is in New Mexico ministering, and I get the opportunity to, uh, to preach uh, not only today, but uh, on the 28th as well. So I got part one and part two in a couple weeks. So if I don't offend you on this one, wait for a couple weeks. I'll try again then. I'm just joking. We've been talking about conversations. Uh, we're coming out of a season of the table, and we, we want to talk about how to have conversations because we believe part of what makes the table so powerful is it's a place where people meet and interact. And last week, Pastor Lawrence really highlighted um, the conversation we have with God. And I want to highlight a little bit of how we redeem conversations with each other over the next couple of weeks. So Ephesians chapter 4, let's just dive in. We're going to begin reading at verse 11. And uh, bear with me, we're going to read... Uh, through verse 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, or by human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then we're going to skip down to verse 29. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk or speech come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace, notice that phrase, give grace to those who hear. Excuse me, let's pray. Lord, we have read your word and now we ask that your word would in a sense read us. May we meet with you today deep unto deep. Lord, we just take a moment and pray for Pastor Lawrence and the team that's with him. May you bless them, may he continue in the same anointing he carries with us. And may you, may you increase it, Lord. May you give through him exactly what that, that part of your body needs today. 
Lord, we pray for our children right now being ministered to. May you give them a heart to know you and to walk in your ways. May they see your beauty and desire to dwell upon it all the days of their life. And Lord, may you anoint to bless those who are ministering to our children now. In here, Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. And uh, I'm going to need some help. Um, so I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present, and I yield myself to you as fully as I know how. And I just ask you to do the heavy lifting. I thank you for this in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 1970, San Francisco. A man climbs over the four-foot safety railing of the Golden Gate Bridge, and he jumps 220 feet to his death. After identifying the man, they go to his residence, and they find a note, and I'll read it. The note read, I'm going to walk to the bridge. If one person smiles and says hello to me on the way there, I will not jump. The man lived almost seven miles from the Golden Gate Bridge and seven miles a bus ride and walking. It's odd to think about, isn't it? A man walking down a bridge when some simple gesture, one single word could save his life. Our words matter. And they matter more than we think. Because relationship, in a sense, is what life is all about. But relationships aren't automatic, are they? They don't just happen. And the currency of relationship is really language and communication. People say the currency of relationship is trust. But how do you get that? You get that through language and communication. Our words matter. And we have a, though it's not 1970, and, but there's a, there's a sense in which we have almost a, a new problem of connecting in a digital age. Technology has had uh, all kinds of benefits, so I'm not here to, this is not a bashing of technology, so just hear me out. Technology has had all kinds of benefits, but it also presents us with new and different problems. Not only that, you would think the most technologically advanced society would be the society that's the happiest. We just assume that to be the case. But what we're finding out is the more we engage in technology and mass communications, the more suicide and depression increases, not decreases. We've increased our communication capacity, but we've decreased our attentiveness to the person right next to us. We, in a sense, have a communication inflation. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, there's just times where I look at a social media feed and go, I really don't care what you had for lunch. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot of other things I could have put in my head today, right? And understand, a communication inflation, and, and the basic law of inflation is the more and more of something that's available to you, the less and less of value it is. And we have tons, we're bombarded with communication, and yes, it is less valuable than it's ever been. In other words, what technology has done for us with the rise of both the smartphone and social media technology has offered us a way uh, for human beings to be, more, to be in more and more relationships that only operate at their convenience. We are multitasking each other. We're keeping each other safely in our inboxes and not getting too close. We over-communicate and yet we're under-connected. 
We are texting each other, but we're not touching each other. We're high tech and low touch. As one sociologist said, Dr. Twin, she said, we're a quivering mass of availability to all. And our souls wither because of it. Our souls wither because of it. I think we need to rethink how we're going to communicate to each other in a way that can redeem some eternal purpose. I think we have to redeem communication again. Redeem conversation again. And that's what I would like to talk about. We would need to redeem it because our words matter. Think about it for a moment. There was nothing, nothing Then God spoke, a few words, not a lot, and then there was like everything. God created words to have power. Proverbs uh, um, 18 reminds us, right, that life and death is in the power of the tongue. That our words matter and they can be used for good, like God uses his words, a few words to create, or like how the word became flesh and dwelt among us in order to heal us and redeem us. That our words can be used in a way that, that, that benefits that Jesus said his words were, were spirit and they were life, that his words could impart life to people. And words are central to the Christian faith, to, to ministry and to our witness. With words we preach and teach, with words we motivate and inspire, with words we can lead and comfort, we can love and forgive, with words we can make peace and reconciliation, with words we can impart hope and joy, we can even make space for healing. But then there can be a negative use of this power, a destructive use, an evil use. Listen, the fall of man didn't start when Eve ate, a bad, uh, ate the fruit. It started when Satan started to speak. He didn't hit her with a stick. He hit her with words, ideas. In a sense, part of the fall of man is due to the lack of critical dialogue with Satan, with questioning what he's saying to listening to what's going on and responding. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter six, there's six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him, and three of those seven have to do with your words. A lying tongue, a false, who bears false witness, and he who sows discord among his brother. The Lord hates it, it's an abomination to him. With words we can lie, which is really a way of trying to manage reality, or a way of playing God. With words we slander, With words we accuse, we destroy, we distort God's character with words. And we can even disfigure God's image bearers with the way we speak. Words have power. In fact, when people tend to say words are empty, what they really, they're not saying words are not powerful. What they're saying is they don't trust the person speaking them. They don't think whatever the person is saying, that person will follow through with it. But what I want you to see is it's not an accusation of the power of words. It's actually um, showing you the power of words. For words were able to reveal the other person's character. You say words are empty, but what really happened is words help you see the other Words are powerful. They can reveal character. And due to that power, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, which is a scary thought, Jesus says, we'll be held accountable for every idle word we speak. Anybody else concerned about that? (laughs) Uh, I am. Um, Especially during yesterday's game, I was really concerned about it. (laughs) But context is important. Right, when Jesus says that in Matthew 12, when he says we'll be held accountable for every careless or idle word, the context is really important. The context is the Pharisees have called him Beelzebub. 
They have named something God's doing as evil. And what he's trying to address in that, in that passage is he's trying to address the fact that when we use words to manipulate others, we better pay attention. We're gonna be held accountable. That manipulating, the manipulating use of word reveals a heart that doesn't revere God, nor is pervaded with his love. In other words, maybe we should put it this way. Words are some of humanity's greatest resource. But think about how little we give attention to or an account of how we're investing that resource and how we're using it. When's the last time you considered the words that you speak? And the reason why words matter is because our life matters. Our life, our choices, our actions, our, our decisions, they somehow impact eternity. And I don't know how all this works, but one of the reasons why we'll be held accountable, not only for our words, but for our life, is because our life has meaning. If, if you were not held accountable for anything that you did in all of eternity, it means your life didn't mean anything for all eternity. But the fact that God will hold this account means what I do now matters somehow. It has meaning, which is important. So I want to just slow down for a moment and look at this passage in Ephesians. What I believe God is calling us to do is redeem conversations, which will, in a sense, help redeem relationships. He says here in this passage that we're to speak the truth in love. In fact, there's these five ministry gifts, apostles and prophets and shepherds or pastors and teachers and evangelists, and they are, they are given to the church for really two things. He says there are only two things. One is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Isn't that good news? Right? There's not ministers. The fivefold are not just the ministers. The fivefold actually equip the church who are the ministers, just to make sure we get clear on that, to equip the, the saints for the work of ministry, but then to build up the body of Christ, to build it up until something happens. They're to do all of that until, really, two things happen. One is until we come um, to this unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And then the second thing, until we mature together into the fullness of Christ. That God actually thinks that the body of Christ, that you and I, together, not individually, but now together, will actually grow up into a place where us, where we together, will bear the witness, the same kind of witness that shows the same fullness of Christ. So whatever Christ carried, that we corporately would put that on display to the world, to the fullness. I know some people growing up uh, would tell me that this was reserved for heaven, but it's like there's no trickery and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting in heaven. He means now. He actually believes the church will mature together to a place that can put on display the fullness of Christ. But then he says, the way we do this, how then do we grow up? And he only gives one thing we do. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up together. In other words, there's two things here in verse 14, 15. One is learning to listen to the truth and for the truth. As we spiritually grow, we spiritually grow by learning how to listen for what is true versus what is deceit. That's why you can recognize the human craftiness and deceitful plotting. Part of that's learning to listen for the truth. But the second thing is learning to speak the truth in love. We will grow up into the head. That we grow together, individually and corporately. We grow up in Christ. Or let me put it this way. Our spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ is directly connected to our speech. That's just terrifying to me. But maybe I'm just going to sit here and preach to myself. You guys just get to listen. Now I'm going to give myself some therapy up here for a moment. 
Um, what he means by speaking the truth in love, isn't it? What does that mean? We're going to spend some more time on it in the, in the couple weeks from now and get, try to get really practical. But let me just tell you, first of all, what he doesn't mean. We tend to say things like, you know, listen to my heart. Listen to my heart. Right? Listen to my heart. You're stupid, selfish, and evil. But listen to my heart. Hear the heart there. Hear what I'm really trying to say. Right? When does that ever work? <laughs> when is that? I mean, I'm almost like, I hear your heart and I still don't like it. You know? Um, that's not what he means. Speaking the truth in love means that love is the filter that filters our speech. Like a coffee filter, it's the thing that catches the, the grounds or the grains. It's the thing that catches the, maybe the unhealthy or possibly harmful things so that what comes out is what's essential, pure. That love is the filter through which we speak the truth. So love filters our attitudes and emotions. Love filters our feelings. Love filters this idea that we have that just a desire to vent on people. It filters through that. And I'll talk more about that more practically, but I want to continue to uh, try to put this in context for us, how important this is. Paul goes on to say in verse 29 that we are to not let this corrupting words come out of our mouth, but what only builds others up, though it fits the occasion, he says, that we may give grace to those who hear. Uh, the, the NIV used to use the word impart. We may impart grace to those who hear. Now, let's just pause and let's work on some definitions. What is grace? All right, so t people tend to get grace and mercy kind of confused. Grace, yes, it does come to us unmeritedly. You don't ever merit grace, but that's how, that's how grace comes. That's not what grace is. Grace is God's empowering presence that enables you to do what he's called you to do and to be whom he's called you to be. Grace empowers. To maybe give you a really short definition, grace is simply God in action on our behalf. It's when God acts on our behalf. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, so Paul, who wrote this Ephesians 4, said two chapters earlier in Ephesians 2, 8, it is by grace that we are saved. Grace is what saves us, the empowering presence of God, this God who acts on our behalf. It's by grace that we're saved, uh, and, and, you know, and by faith alone, not by any works that we've done. But this grace that saves us, two chapters later, he says, you can impart that grace to those who hear your words. There is something about our words that makes God's grace available to others. Just, let me be very clear. Our words do not save anyone. But God uses our words to actually make his grace available to people in a way in which it previously was not available until we spoke. Your words could make God's grace available to others. That very empowering presence that saves us and delivers us. But think about how often we use our words for the opposite reasons. Instead of imparting grace, we disgrace another that instead of our words building up it tears down and oftentimes for the most petty of reasons huh? our own entertainment oh I'm just trying to be funny yeah well great and what I'm trying to say is this is how we start redeeming conversations is we start realizing one taking seriously what does it mean to speak the truth in love and what does it mean to speak in such a way that our words impart grace to those who hear 
So where should we start if we're going to do that? Well, I'd like to start in a really unlikely place. You'd think if we're going to talk about speaking the truth in love, we would start by talking about speaking in our words. I'm going to talk about that actually next time. What I want to talk about here is we actually start redeeming conversations. Right? The Bible says that as fits the occasion. Well, how do you know what fits the occasion if you're not listening to others or to God's voice? We start with redeeming conversations, not by what we say, but how we listen. So let's start for a moment with listening. Most of all of God's redemptive acts in human history, when he steps into human history and acts on the behalf of his people, it is because he took time to listen. He goes to Moses who's in the backside of a desert working with his father, Jethro, right? That just sounds like something happens in southeastern Oklahoma. I'm just like, Jethro, you know, like, he's, just, you know, he's a mechanic in, uh, working in the you know, south side of, never mind, I'll stop it, come back. <laughs> he comes to Moses and he says, I've heard the cries of my people and I'm gonna deliver them. Over and over again, David says throughout the Psalms, I cried and you inclined to my cry. You heard my cry and you inclined to me and you acted, you stepped in and you delivered me. God's redemptive act starts because God listens. Now if God can listen, we can listen. Perhaps part of the problem between the church, the relationship with the church and the world is not because the world hasn't heard what the church has to say. The church hasn't taken time to listen to what the world's trying to say. I don't mean that we listen and take their advice, I mean we listen to the cry of the heart underneath it. That God takes time to listen. Is that not bad? Does that, what respect, what honor he gives us that he would listen to us. I mean, he knows what you're going to say before you say it. I do think there might be times where Jesus kind of looks over to God in heaven and goes, why did we put a mouth on him? Like, I, help me remember, we, we know everything about what, you know, I don't understand. But that deep desire to come and to Incline and talk with him. He listens to us. What well, honor and respect. And if he can do that, we can do it to others. Jesus actually said in Luke 8, 18, and in Mark 4, it's the same passage. But Luke 8, 18, he said, be careful how you hear. Now, if he was talking about physically hearing, there's only one way you hear. Sound waves come and through these awkward things on the side of our heads, right? And uh, these little bones rattle inside and somehow we in cognitively can turn that into words and images, which is, I mean, think about the miracle that is. But anyway, there's only really one way to hear. That's with your ears. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying, pay attention to how you are listening to what you hear. Pay attention to how you're listening to what you hear. Because the context is, he had just told the parable of the sower and the seed. Right? The sower and the seed, a man throws seed and there was, uh, it fell on you know, these, these different kinds of soil. One who, who uh, took it and it produced a hundredfold. One, one took it and it, was, uh, uh, it, it took root for a little while, but then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches came and choked it out, right? He talks about all of those different, in other words, basically he's, he's giving basically a breakdown of communication. There's the, there's the speaker, the, the transmitter of the message, the one sowing the seed. Then there's the message itself, which also means the meaning of the message itself. So you got the one transmitting the message, the speaker. You got the message and the meaning of the message itself. And then you have the person, the receiver, the listener, who's receiving the message and meaning. 
And honestly, that's basically all of communication, those three parts. But it can go wrong at either one of those parts. <laughs> and when it does, it goes bad usually, right? Uh, but it can go wrong. Classic example, I don't know if you guys remember, but the uh, Pink Panther, the movie. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to reveal how, nostalgic, how old soul I am. But anyway... Uh, the old version, uh, he goes up to a man, uh, Dr. Kluter goes up to a man on the street and, and he sees this dog and he says, does your dog bite? And the man says, no. He reaches down to get the dog, dog bite, rips his arm off. And he looks at him and said, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. And the man said, my dog does not bite. That's not my dog. <laughs> right? I mean, you can get any point in that message, uh, you have a transmitter, message, receiver, any point in there, it can go wrong. We'll talk more about that because those are assumptions we often make. Right? But the point of the parable of the sower and the seed is that when they sow seed, it really shouldn't be called the sower and the seed. It should be called the soil that's ready for the seed. Because it's really about soil. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If the words are the seeds and the one speaking then is the sower, then the listener is the soil. And Jesus teaches us that the soil of listening, that de- it, it, it teaches us that the soil of listening that determines the degree to which we actually receive the message is our heart's in the quality of our hearts. In other words, the precondition for listening is that we watch over our hearts. We often miss opportunities to redeem conversations with those around us because either our hearts are not set on loving them or our hearts are set on other things or our hearts are distracted with other things. So if we're gonna redeem conversation, we gotta toil the soil of our own hearts for a moment. We're going to have to take time to process what's actually going on in our own heart and life with God so that we can be with people. In 2014, the University of Virginia did a study. They, they, uh, interv- they tested, did research for 5,000 adults. And here's, here's what the simple research was. You can either spend 15 minutes alone in solitude and silence with your own thoughts, or you can receive a strong electric- electrical shock for a few seconds. 67% of men and 27% of women chose to be shocked than to sit still for 15 minutes with their own thoughts. You see, perhaps the busyness of our life, maybe subconsciously, is more intentional than we think. For if we were to slow down, we might actually have to listen to our own souls. And we might not like what our souls have to say. We might not like the loneliness it's going to tell us about or the brokenness or hurt. A U.S. admiral did a research, did a, I mean, 25-year research on PTSD and why it was higher in those returning from Vietnam than those returning from World War II. And after all of his research, and there's countless reasons, so I don't want to just make it sound like it's just one thing, here's one observation that he made, and I'll quote from his research. He says this, the soldiers returning from World War II had to come back on a very long transcontinental boat ride Soldiers returning from Vietnam could one be on the battlefield one day and fly back home and be in their hometown within 24 hours. One group had a chance to process what they experienced with others who experienced it with them. The other group did not. And PTSD was almost double the rate in those from returning from Vietnam than those in World War II. We have to learn to process what we experience or our hearts just fill up till we can't even be with people and be present. Our souls become chaotic, get disheveled, and it affects the way we're with people. So time, 
taking time in prayer and with trusted others to process what's going on in our own busy lives is part of the way we toil the soul, soil of our own hearts so that we can redeem conversations, so we can be present with people. We will not be able to listen to others or to God with a heart that's preoccupied, anxious, and chaotic. So what I, I like to say, listen, oftentimes, the Bible talks about your soul in the third person, right? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? I mean, he's talking to himself. <laughs> you realize that? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Well, one of the reasons why we do that, and honestly, it's not only the Judeo-Christian belief that's done it, all, all kinds of philosophy and religion has done it, but one of the reasons why is because the soul is kind of this integration of all the parts of us. And so one of the things about the soul is you never can just go find it. The soul almost has to emerge to show itself to us. And it usually emerges in stillness. But we're scared of it sometimes. What I'm trying to say is we need time with God alone, in solitude, prayer, um, in order that we might be undistracted when we're with people. We need time alone with God to rest in his love just so that we can be with people and love them. (laughs) Anybody else? I'm not saying how long that needs to be. I'm not even telling you how you need to practice it. I'm just telling you, your soul needs to process and we gotta figure out how to do that. So taking time to be still and silent with God will help us discover what's really going on in our souls. And learning to listen to our own soul in the presence of God is one way that we prepare ourselves to listen and redeem conversations. Let me read you just a great quote, can I, from Henry David Thoreau, his classic work, Walden. Let me just read this to you. Now, I just want you to imagine if he actually lived in, a, he, you know, this is 18, well, early 1900, 1905, I think. But just imagine for a moment if he knew about um, email and texting, Twitter and Snapchat, Listen, as our inward life fails, as our inward life fails, we go more constantly and desperately to the post office. You may depend on it. And the poor fellow who walks away with the greatest numbers of letters, proud of his extensive correspondence with others, has not heard from himself in a long while. We are in constant correspondence with each other, but have you heard from yourself in a long while? So we must till the soil of our own hearts if we're gonna learn to listen to others and listen to God in order to redeem conversations. But then if, uh, as uh, we, we go about learning to listen to ourselves, to God and to others, you need to know the Holy Spirit will be there to help you. The Holy Spirit will be there to help you see and to hear. The next verse, after, in verse 30 of uh, Ephesians 4, you know, he says, you know, you know, let, don't let any corrupting word come out of your mouth, but speak in such a way that imparts grace to those who hears. In the next verse, he says, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, you need to be sure to listen to the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, be sure you can hear the Holy Spirit. He assumes Christians can. And he says, just don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit will help us. He will help us because, to listen. Because listen, often we're, we, we listen to people in order to figure out how we're going to respond instead of listening to try to understand the other. This is going to be awkward for some of you, but I'm going to go for it. Ready? We often listen for ideas instead of listening to people. We want to know what the idea the person's trying to tell us is so we know what box to put them in, what political idea, what religious idea. What denominational idea? Just what, help, us, help me understand what the concept you're trying, so I can put you in a box instead of listening to people. 
this person with their own history, their own struggles, their own dreams and passions. We tend to listen for ideas instead of to people. What I've discovered, if we're going to be good listeners, is a, good listening is actually more about not doing certain things than it is about doing certain things. Listening well is actually more about not interrupting. It's about not thinking about your response ahead of time. It's about not having an agenda. It's about not trying to need agreement with the other, but seeking to understand the other, and then I can seek to be understood. That it's more about not doing certain things than about doing certain things, and the Holy Spirit will help us, but I just want to tell you briefly practically how the Holy Spirit tends to help us, all right? We tend, you know, pastors have been talking about the difference between reaction and response, right? Let's not react, but let's respond. Those are two separate things. So let me just tell you how the Holy Spirit, often, often there's a stimulus that happens. Something stimulates our reaction, right? Or all of you just maybe kind of look like saints of God all of a sudden who never have reactions. You all have learned how to respond. But we tend to have some stim- stimulus, right? Some stimuli. Something makes us frustrated. Something's happening. Some, something sets us off. Something mo- there's a, a stimulus to react, and then there's actually, then you stimulus, then you have the response. The Holy Spirit, what he often does, if you start praying, Holy Spirit, help me respond and not react, I guarantee you what's gonna happen. Something's gonna stimulate you, and the Holy Spirit's gonna put a little pause right there. And he's gonna give you a gap. He's gonna increase the gap just a little bit. He's gonna increase that time just a bit and go, now son, daughter, you do not have to react to this. You can respond to this. It's in that pause, it's in that gap where grace lies for us. It's in that little pause where redemption can happen. It's in that pause where the Holy Spirit's power begins to be made available to us. You know, uh, you know uh, I don't know if they have them here, I haven't seen them, but in uh, England, when you go to get on the tube or the train, there's always this lady keeps crying out, mind the gap, mind the gap. And what she's saying is, you know, there's a gap between your step, don't fall in. <laughs> Which makes you want to know who did that, who needs that kind of warning, <laughs> you know. But anyway, mind the gap. And listen, that's a great word for us, mind the gap. Mind the gap between stimulus and response. Pay attention to it and watch what the Holy Spirit does. He will increase the time. He'll give you a pause. He'll give you a couple more seconds. Uh, there'll be that voice that says, now you don't have to act, respond, react that way. You can respond this way. Right? Or what about forgiveness as your words of anger are coming out of your mouth? <laughs> so if we can mind the gap, we'll find the grace and power of God. What we want, though, isn't it? We want the Holy Spirit to take us over and just control our mouth for us. <laughs> That's just not the way it works. Listen, he wants to renew your mind and your will. He doesn't want to bypass your will. All right, so mind the gap. Let me just listen, start to land the plane with this. Listening to the heart. How do we listen to others for what's eternal and not just listen in order to respond? Well, the first thing is if we can make the main goal of our listening with others, our conversation with others, seeking to understand instead of seeking to agree. If you need agreement with another person, then you'll, have some, you'll need something you'll never have, and that's control over the way the person thinks. So we just got to set down agreement. I don't know if I'll ever have agreement with another person. I'm sure there'll be places we do, but my point is when I meet with them, when I'm talking with them, when I'm listening to them, I'm seeking to understand them instead of seeking to agree with them. So that's the first. How do we change the goal a bit? The goal is not to get agreement. The goal is to seek understanding. The second thing that we can do to help us listen is we can turn off the judgment part of us. Now, just hear me out. 
What I'm not saying is we agree with everything someone says. I just told you, you can't always have agreement, so just make sure. What I mean by that is when I'm listening, I don't have to make a judgment about everything I'm hearing right now. I can make a judgment about it later. What I'm trying to do right now is listen to them. I'm trying to be a non-anxious, non-judgmental presence that is listening for the person, not just for ideas or concepts I agree with or disagree with. Another thing we can do to help us listen is we can keep from projecting our own thoughts and feelings on others. Listen, we do this all the time, and it gets some, uh, you know, it, it can get comical, but, you know, you, somebody has a horrible meeting, a meeting where they get, they get thrown on the carpet and they weren't aware of it, they get blasted, they leave the meeting, they're walking down the hall at work, and you say, how you doing? And they say, fine. And then you go off for an hour going, what have I done to offend them? I mean, what is it? And you rack your brain and go, oh, you know what? I didn't invite him to last year's birthday party. Maybe that's it. I knew I should invite him. And it has nothing to do with you. The fine had nothing to do with you. It had to be. Fine means I have left one of the worst meetings of my life, and I don't want to talk about it. That's what fine means in that moment. Fine. My point is we constantly project on others when we're listening. And if we're going to be a good listener, we just got to put down the projections. Let it be. I'm here with the other person. I don't even have to defend myself right now. And I'm listening for their heart. So we seek to understand. We put judgment on pause. We keep from projecting. Everybody all right? All right. All those married couples are going to have some awkward conversations when this is over. Right? The fourth thing. Look, as Christians, we ought to know and need to know the power of empathy. The power of empathy. The Bible tells us, mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Because there's power in empathy. Let me just share a story with you. I, about a decade ago, uh, you know, 27 or so, I, um, I was meeting an elder in the church, an older gentleman, and we had went to coffee, and then we had went to a bookstore. We had that in common. We loved books. We're in the bookstore, kind of sitting in these chairs in the corner. And uh, I asked the question first. I said, tell me about one of the most meaningful events of your life. And so he told me a couple of meaningful events. And then he turned it on me and said, tell me one of yours. So I told him one of the stories. When I was 18 years old, one of my best friends, who I was going to go play college baseball with, um, had a head-on collision with a logging truck. I happened to be working with a first responder building fences. He gets the call. He didn't know who it was. He told me to jump in the car because he wasn't going to leave me out in the pasture building fences. And so we take off. When we get there, I recognize the truck. I run out. I yell to my friend. I yell his name. He hears me. All of you were one of the first people there, but all the other people working on him, he's scared. He doesn't know anybody, but he recognized my voice. So he starts screaming my name while he's trapped and pinned in his car. And they made me sit over in a ditch, which I understand why they did, sit in a ditch 15, 20 minutes away while they got the jaws of life and tried to cut him out all the while he's screaming my name. And by the time they get him out, he's all but gone. He dies two, three minutes later in a helicopter flight. I told that man that I had told that story a hundred times by this time, by the time I'm 28. I had processed the pain of it. I've tried to work through it, all the rest. And that man in that little bookstore reaches over to me and he just puts his hand on my hand and he says, son, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine how helpless you felt. And the moment he said helpless, I lost it. And it wasn't because I had some wound. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I, who knows? I'm pretty dysfunctional. But... Really what happened was, for the first moment, I just realized I wasn't alone. 
He had named my pain in a way I hadn't named it yet. Helpless. And he may not feel the full extent of my pain, but he felt something of it. There was no counseling. There was no prayer. He didn't pray with me. We didn't pray with each other. There was none of that. There was empathy. He mourned with me. And I was better because of it. But how are we going to mourn with people if we don't listen to what they're mourning about? How are we going to grieve with people and weep with them? We have no idea what they're grieving and weeping. How are we going to rejoice with people if we don't listen to what it is that's actually causing them to rejoice? And that's why what I'm trying to say, my friends, there's power and empathy, but it starts with listening. Intentively listening. We are not called to fix someone's mourning. He never says that. Take those who are mourning and get them in therapy and fix it. He says, just mourn with those who mourn. Because there's power in not being alone. My point is, my friends, you can never go wrong with listening, but you can rarely go right without it. So in order to love one another, we must learn to listen to one another. If we're going to minister to people, we have to first learn to listen to people. And if we are going to redeem the words we speak that they might impart grace to those who hear, we must start with learning how to redeem the way we listen to people so that we might speak in a way that could transform their life and conversation through God's grace. So God desires us to redeem our conversations because relationships are so important. And they thrive or they die on communication. But I'm arguing that we start with listening. Well, let me just end with this. In Luke 24, there's a unique story. Two men are traveling on the road to Emmaus, seven-mile stretch between Jerusalem and the city of Emmaus. They are traveling together. The Bible tells us they've been their disciples, followers of Jesus. And it also tells us that Jesus catches up with them. Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. Nobody quite knows it. Word hadn't got out yet. And he walks up behind these guys on the road to Emmaus and they don't recognize him. And the Bible tells us that they start talking about the things that have happened and how they'd hoped he was the Messiah, but how Rome has put him to death. And they turn to Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus, and they say, what do you think about these? Have you heard these things? And in verse 19, Jesus says two words in English. What things? Now just pause for a moment. Jesus is like the only one who really knows what's happening. He's the only one on the planet that actually knows what's taken place since his death and resurrection. And he walks up with these two blokes who, who are disappointed and disillusioned. I thought he was the Messiah. They're grieving and mourning. Their, their vision of messianic hope has been broken. They're, they're there on the road and Jesus doesn't say, now shut up, boys, let me tell you what's really happened. I am the holder of all the truth. He comes alongside them and says, what things? Tell me what's on your heart. My friends, he will come and sit next to you. He knows all your sin better than you do, your failures, your disappointment. He knows the things happening in your life. He knows the promises that have been broken. He knows the hopes that have been dashed. He knows all of it. And he will come and he'll sit next to you and he'll say to you, he even knows the things, my friends, you don't want to talk about with him. And he'll just sit next to you and say, what things? Tell me. 
The Bible goes on to say that he taught them, starting from the scriptures, showing them how all these things must happen. Still didn't recognize him. But they get to a, they, they arrive at their house and they invite him in. I just pause and think about our discussion in the season we're in. They recline at the table, the Bible says. Jesus has listened to their heart. He's spoken words of life and giving some context for why this had to happen. Then he takes the bread and he just prays. He blesses it and he breaks it. And when he does, their eyes were open and they see that it's Jesus. My friends, not only will Jesus listen to you, but we are called to be the kind of people who will come along people on their own journey, who are filled with all kinds of pain, all kinds of disillusionment. And though we know the truth and we have the truth and though we have the gospel, we first come along and say, what things? And then perhaps a moment when they're at our table, as we have listened and dialogued, when we break bread, maybe their eyes will be open and they'll see Jesus. Would you stand with me? Our GP2RL for this week is I just encourage you, would you slow down this week? Take time to listen. Listen to your own soul, your own heart, listen to God. Would you make attention to listen to someone else? And as you do, would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear the heart of the other? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to hear the heart of the other? Well, look, I just want to invite you to respond. We're going to worship in just a moment, but we like to have time um, to have ministry and prayer as a response to this. And today is a Sunday where our elders are actually uh, doing that for us. I'm going to ask our elders if they would just go back into the back of the sanctuary. That's Jim and Diana Howard, Jason and Heather Shiflett. I see them in the back. Derek and Crystal Wilson. Thank you. Ryan and Gina Perry, Dave and Lauren Fulford, Wade and Jennifer Moore. They will all be in the back. And I just want to encourage you, as we worship, if there's something you need to respond, maybe the Lord's convicted you, maybe there's a conversation you need to have, maybe there's just needs that you need to be prayed over. They would love to take a moment to pray over you. I'm just inviting you to think about these things. I'm inviting you to think about your, your spiritual life and how you've used words. I'm inviting you to think, maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. And maybe, hopefully, maybe God has used some of my words to impart grace to you. That those in the back, the elders, would love a chance to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you've been thinking about being a part of a spiritual family. We are to grow together into the fullness of Christ. We don't grow by ourselves. Or there's a point where we can no longer grow past how we've grown until we're a part of a body. And so one of the things we have coming up, we have a, um, a welcome to the families way we introduce those who are who are wanting to be a part of uh, our family here. And on uh, December 1st, we have a big banquet, and we're gonna, we present those. Who've, and if that's something you'd like, you can take a Connect card and fill that out. I want to be a part of a community. And put it in the giving stations in the back, and we will contact you and share with you more of that process and how to do it. Well, we're going to take moments now to enter back into worship. You can worship. You can have prayer. There's communion in the back. Also a time maybe you need to worship through your giving, and there's ties. There's this, uh, the giving stations in the back if you'd like to do that. But let me just pray, and then let's enter into worship together. Father, we, we often want ministry to look powerful and big. And yet you stand here just asking us to redeem conversations, to love people by listening and speaking words that will impart grace. We repent of looking to other strategies 
and just pause and say, teach us, Lord, how to listen and teach us how to redeem conversations in such a way that our words will not only be pleasing to you, but our words may actually be something you can use to transform and save others. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.